out for fellowship only. God, we're here because we love you. We want your word to come alive in our hearts. We want to walk out of here committed again to give everything to you, to live every day, every week to the fullness that we possibly can as our time on the earth is short. And God, we ask for supernatural grace, Lord Jesus, to continue. We ask for supernatural grace to help us morning after morning, evening after evening, choice after choice to set aside entertainment for the sake of eternity, to live lives of prayer and fasting, to live lives of consecration totally devoted to you. God, we want to be truly spotless bride when you return. Father, we want to be effective with the hours that you've given us. Each one of us have decided to diligently pursue the specific thing that you've called us to do with our lives. And we ask that we would not squander the precious gift of life. And so, Lord Jesus, would you come tonight and would you help us? Would you help us, Lord God, to hear your word? Not to hear an idea that the preacher has to say, but Lord God, to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. That we would hear your voice, that the scriptures would come alive. We love you, God. Amen. I remember as a high school student hearing a missionary one time come and and, and, and he talked a, a long, around an idea. And the idea that he talked about was that we always take from God, but we really never want to give to God. And so kind of the thesis of his talk was this. If you really want to do what God's called you to do, stop being such a taker only and be a giver. And so the logic basically went like, if you will increase the desire to give, kind of slow down the intensity in wanting to take, then you'll be a balanced Christian. You'll be balanced in what God wants. And tonight, as typical in my introductions, I want to challenge that thought. I want to challenge the idea of limiting what we take and balancing out with giving. And tonight I want to contend that the only way that you will be able to be someone that gives much is if you have a, a, a ferocious tenacity to take all that you can get. I believe that the reason why so many don't want to give to the poor, don't want to live in true holiness, would prefer to watch television than go to the prayer meeting, would prefer to sleep in than spend time alone with God, would prefer to maintain bitterness rather than to work through forgiveness issues, primarily is not an issue of motivation to give. But the primary reason why people live that way is because they're depleted of taking all that God wants to give the human heart. And if you want to be a person that truly gives, if you want to be a person that has a compassion for the poor, that wants to literally sacrifice much, that wants to do the things of giving. You know, inevitably the idea the missionary was saying is, hey, stop just wanting to be a taker from God and start giving more of your time, start giving more of your dollars and sacrifice more often. But the way that you're going to do that is not by bolstering up your commitment to give. 
the primary way that you will become someone like that is if you have a, a, a determination and a resolution that you're going to take all, that you're going to take everything available to the human heart. Because the very nature of taking everything that God will give us turns into a, a literal combustion, an explosion within us where you can't help but burst, spend yourself, give yourself when you're taking in a lot. That's the inevitable reaction of someone who's actually taking in a lot. You look at the people that are spending a lot of time alone with God and their, their character will be transformed. They will love the things of missions or the things of evangelism or the things of the poor. Why? Because they're spending time getting the word of God in them, turning it into conversation and getting more and more of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit transforms us, he turns us into looking like Christ. Are you with me? And so I want to urge you tonight to develop a greater hunger to take everything you can get. Take it all and let the chips fall where they fall. Get a mentality of I'm going to take everything available in the kingdom and then let the chips fall where they fall. Love God with everything that you have. Love God with all your heart and everything else will work itself out. The idea is, is that we often are too hesitant on taking everything that God wants to give us. Most of us know this famous song. We sing it all the time by virtue of being an intern here. Either in one of the three, you're, you're around young people a lot. And so we're all singing the song, take, take, take it all, take, take, take it all, right? Yes? All right. Why don't you just sing that to yourself real, real loud. Everybody belt it out. Take, take, take it all. Come on. Take, take, take it all. Take, take, take it all. All right, good. Now I'm just doing this. I want you to picture the, that was good. For those of you that kept going, that's pretty. Now, obviously in the nature of that, that's a, that's a great statement. That's a song where we're saying to, where we're saying, Jesus, take, take, take my life. Take, take. I give it again. I sacrifice it again. But I wonder, I wonder if we were to actually look at what God has available for us, what it would look like if the God of the ages was looking at you saying, hey, I have a feast available to you. You've only barely eaten a small appetizer. There's so much more. You've developed a contentment. Hey, take, take, take it all. Hey, take more. Hey, there's so much available to the human heart that you have not yet taken. And that's the idea I want you to get. I want you to imagine a flip side. I want you to imagine this talk could be Jesus looking at you saying, hey, you, put your, put your name in there. Amy, Annalise, Joe, you take, take, take it all. I want you to take all that I have available for you. I want you to take everything that I've given, that I've provided for you. Luke chapter 12, verse 31. That's where we're reading. But seek first his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly. I love that word. Gladly. Your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. You have a glad father who wants to give you the kingdom. Wow, are you sitting in a privileged place of position? Holy moly. Look at that. You have a father and he goes, hey, I 
The Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Another version says, it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Saying, he takes pleasure in granting to you, in giving to you the kingdom of God. Think about that. Think about the one who is the king, who is setting up the domain in which he is king on earth, the kingdom of God, and it is his good pleasure. It is his good delight to grant it, to give it to you. There's a banqueting table and you've settled for an appetizer. You see, because what, what we've done, what, what we often do in our, in our church world, where you and I are at, is that we get so used to who we are, we get so used to our schedule, we get so used to what we say is our gifting and what others say is our gifting, what other people say that is our quality character traits and what other people, or what we even may see as ourselves, as our lack of character. And then we develop a, a concept. And it's this concept that says, because it mixes consumer Americanism with spirituality. And what it says is, is this is the way that I am. These are the spiritual gifts that I possess. This is the way that I diligently pursue. And we, we just kind of take a slice of what's available f- for us. And we can become content in that box. I was talking to a, a guy uh, 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 recently. And he said this. He said, he, we were talking about gifts. And he said... I don't have that gift. And he wasn't saying, I don't have that spiritual gift with, the, with kind of the vocal inflection of, but I sure would like it. He wasn't saying it with kind of a, a facial expression of, I don't have that gift. Man, you know, eyes light up. Sure would be great. Or I'm going to eagerly pursue the gifts. Instead, it was to justify his current condition, a contentment with where he was at, And a a literal statement as if, this is a gift, this is all I'm going to have, and those things that you're speaking of, I don't possess. I was talking to another guy recently. We were talking about the idea of fasting. This young man said to me, that's great and all, but I don't have the grace to fast. (laughs) And, And inherent in that concept was this. It was a statement of saying... Hey, there are some gifts or some things of the kingdom that others may be pursuing, but I have decided to live in such a way where I've defined the way that I pursue God or what's available to me in the scriptures. I'm going to be content with what I possess. That is the avenue that I have, and I don't have the grace to do anything outside of my box. And I think what is so easy for you and for me Though we may not have the audacity to articulate it to a pastor that talks about fasting a lot, is that inside, that's how we live. I mean, we categorize ourselves in those ways. And, and, and I, you know, it's kind of funny. I mean, I, I, wonder, I wonder what it would be like if, if Jesus showed up and went through one of our internships, you know? Because sometimes we do this when we don't even mean to. But like, I wonder what would happen if I said, hey, Jesus, here, you want to do the eye here? I want you to take this gift quest. I want to see what your spiritual gifts are. Hey, Jesus, you did well with, you know, 
the gift of healing and wisdom. Not so good in miracles. Your scantron didn't come out with miracles. But see, the very nature of that is to kind of categorize. And, and I think that sometimes when we are trying to do Christianity in 2008, and we, in an attempt to try to highlight giftings, an attempt to try to find individuality, sometimes it's easy. And I'm not talking as like theoretical. I'm just talking as a practitioner. I'm, not, I'm just talking about hanging out, doing internships for a long time. Sometimes it's easy to say, that's so-and-so's gift. I don't possess it. And you just kind of say, this is the way that I seek God. This is the way that I fulfill the mandate on my life. This is the way that I do these things. And God's going, hey, young man, hey, young woman, hey, 22-year-old young man, I have so much more for you. It is my great pleasure. It is my, I am glad there's a gladness in my heart to give you the kingdom. Do not be content with so little. Do not be content with only a little bit. I have much available. Matthew chapter 7, we know this well. This verse about God being a good father. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give you a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? familiar verse I mean you know Sermon on the Mount material most of us you know if ever we're trying to have a quiet time and we don't know where to go we either go to Sermon on the Mount or Psalm 139 <laughs> either say what Je- read what Jesus said or I'm fearfully and wonderfully made oh yeah remind me again God <laughs> it's usually when we're feeling a little uh, out of shape I, maybe this is confession sorry but it's interesting right here, because we, we hear this and it says, okay, your heavenly father wants to give you good things. He delights in it. In Luke 12, it says, literally, it's the father's good pleasure, or he has chosen gladly, gladly to give you the kingdom. I mean, I want you to picture when you're asking for the kingdom, when you're asking for the things of God available to you, I want you to imagine a smile on the face of the Father, and that's the smile, that's a gladness, that's a good pleasure. He takes great delight when you ask and when you do the things of the kingdom. You're going, okay, well, duh. Yeah? Then how come? How come in general we stop short of pressing for the fullness of the kingdom? God's delighted to give you the kingdom. Yeah, well, I'll give you some reasons. I'll give you some excuses. Yeah, but David, I've done bad things. I made out with so-and-so. I cussed at so-and-so. Secretly have a crush on so-and-so, and that's against the 24-7 rules. <laughs> I have good news for you. His delight in giving the kingdom is not based upon your spiritual resume. It's not like he looks at all the perfect little people and says, I, I'm delighted to give you, oh perfect little boy, little girl, the kingdom. 
No, if that'd be the case, then we'd all be hosed. But the reality is, is that he looks at broken people and says, I want to give you the kingdom. Why? Because it's out of his kindness. Skip forward three chapters, Luke 15. Most of you know this. This is by far and away my favorite parable. One of the reasons why we stop short of pressing for fullness of the kingdom in our own lives is because we have a, a wrong image of our Father. We have a wrong image of how God will respond to us once we've sinned, once we've fallen short, once we've marinated in weakness for a good season. Luke 15. You know it well, verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my, my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went, so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to, f- to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have, have food to spare? Here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. Now, when you read the prodigal story, because those of you that are sitting in this room tonight have decided to be followers of Jesus, it's easy for us to kind of write off the prodigal and think mostly in terms of just the, the lost pagan. But I want you to get, the prodigal story is often our star, story from Thursday to Thursday. In terms of, the, in terms of that, this moment is where the prodigal son is facing the pain of falling short. He's facing the pain of returning and going back to his father when he has, in a sense, said, forget you, God. You know, forget the father. Obviously, we know in the Jewish culture, for him to say, hey, I want to take my inheritance, was ultimately saying, father, you're as good to me as if you were dead. I don't care about you. So... I want to take what is rightfully mine and I want to go start my own life. It was the ultimate slam in Jewish culture. And so that seems dramatic to us, but you and I face this pain, if not on a weekly basis, maybe a monthly basis, you know, where you face the pain of, Jesus, I love you. I'm giving everything to God. I'm going to go after him. God, you know, take, take, take it all. I'm all yours, you know. I mean, you're everything to me, and I love you. And we sing the songs, and we take the notes, and we pray the prayers, and we say it in our accountability. But then you face the pain, the moment, where you're feasting on pig slop. And there's a pain that exists in your heart. You've all been there. We've been there because, man, in one sense, we are like... What is this? I'm mad at myself because I I want God and I've said yes to him and I love him. 
And we have to face this moment where we're going, what do I do? What is, what's up with me? And the temptation is to mostly think upon self. To say, well, apparently I don't have what it takes to be the radical lover of God. Apparently I'm not a history maker. Apparently I bought the t-shirt, but it doesn't live in me. I'm not as good as my accountability leader. I can't do it. I don't have what it takes. And I tell you, it is our temptation, either at age 21 or age 25 or age 30 or 40, when we have faced the pain of our sin so many times, the statement of this prodigal son is where so many people live. And stop asking for the fullness of the kingdom because they picture a God in their head that's, that's irritated, that's bugged. Come on. Come on, Curtis. Why can't you get this? And whether it be because that was the way that your earthly father was, or because you have a, 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 a mind that cannot see as God sees and cannot imagine a perfect father because we know it not on the earth. You can't fathom that God would not be bugged, irritated, and annoyed by you because anybody else in any other scenario like this where you committed once, twice, three times, four times, anybody else would be bugged by you. And you can't fathom that God would look at you in any other way. Surely he's like every other human where if I made a, a statement of my commitment and fell short, made a statement of my commitment and fell short, made a statement of my commitment and fell short, promised that I wouldn't do it again, promised that I wouldn't do it again, sang the worship song, oh, how I love you, and I fell down and I fell down and I fell down and I, and I didn't come through and I didn't come through and I didn't come through 10 times, 20 times, 30 times. At some point, we know the human response is what is up with you, man? Dude, you are not coming through on your word. You are not practicing what you're preaching. And at some point, our temptation, the lie of the enemy, is to look at you and say, and God's no different. Actually, he's irritated by your lack of follow-through on your commitment. You said that you wouldn't make out with her again, and you did. You said that you would be, take all thoughts captive, and you didn't. And you didn't, and you didn't, and you didn't. You said you'd stop slandering, and here you are four years later, and you're still a slanderer. And the lie of the enemy is to come to you and look at you and say, pathetic, can't do it. Your Christian resume is tainted. And we come back to God. God, no longer worthy to be called a son. Just let me hang out with the hired hands. No longer worthy to, you know, have a ring on my finger. God, no longer worthy to have your robe, feast at your table. I'll tell you what. I still have a zeal in my heart for you, even though I obviously can't come through on my commitment. 
I don't want to be one of those people that turn and just waste my whole life in the pigsty. Come to my senses on that one. But clearly I don't have what it takes to be a history maker. Clearly I don't have what it takes to fulfill what I originally wrote as my life mission statement. Clearly I don't have what it takes to be a man that spends all kinds of time with you or gives extravagantly to the poor or takes of my wealth and helps others. So tell you what, why don't you just let me into your kingdom and I'll settle for excuses to why I don't spend time with God, excuses for why I don't have a prayer life, excuses as to how fasting's not really my gifting, excuses as to why I don't have much spiritual authority, excuses as to why I don't have a heart for the nations, excuses as to why I'm going to spend much of my life going to church but have very little fascination on God and most of it be about movies. And I'll call it Christianity. And I won't do bad things. I won't be a liar. You know? Do my best to keep my family together. But as for being the extravagant I mean, holy, intense, Christian, Christian, little Christs, look like you, holy like you, radiant, passionate. Oh man, I tried. I, I, I did that. I gave it a shot for a few years and I do not have what it takes. Clearly I don't. So God, let's strike up a deal. You let me into heaven, I'll tithe, and I'll be a good person, and I'll smile a lot. But I don't know that I can be a rabid, fiery man of God. I don't know if I can set heroes of people that have had encounters with you. It's too painful because... Obviously, I don't have what it takes. Make me a hired hand. Just let me hang out. Just let me be here. Let me lead something at the church. And live under a false guise of spirituality. Please, God. I know you're probably so annoyed and bugged by me. Just let me in. Just please. You know, verse 21. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion, ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him. Hey, bring the best robe. Put it on my son. Shoes for his feet. Hurry, put them on. Kill the fattened calf. My son was lost. Now he's found. He's dead. He's alive again. Father, I've sinned against heaven against you. Make me like a hired man. Son, look at me. You're my boy. You're my son. 
you don't feast at my table based upon your spiritual resume. The good news for you is that this story is not mostly about you. The character in the story that maintains a distinction that the world will never be able to comprehend is me and my loving kindness. And I'm the main story here. Though Luke called it the prodigal son, it's really about the father. I am the one that you want. Look at me. Lock eyes with me. You will not ever be a hired hand in my house. You come to me broken, and I always put you at my table. You always feast on me. You walk out of here, and on Saturday, find yourself living in sloth you find yourself falling short again and your temptation is to go I can't do this this Christian journey is too hard so I'll do Christian culture but I won't do Christianity I'll give up but friends the only way forward is to go God God you have said that that banqueting table is mine God you have said I get to have a robe on my back and a ring on my finger. And I don't feel like I deserve it because I know that I don't. But I'm not dependent on my resume. I'm dependent yet again on your kindness. I'm dependent yet again on your attributes and who you are. And it matters not who I am. It matters not how many times I've fallen short. My resume is so naked and bare and pathetic. And you look at that and you go, it matters not because of who God is. This is our story every week. And it is our temptation every week to say, ah, I give up. Forget filling out the card, time with God every day. Give up. I miss it too often. Oh, I miss this holiness thing too often. I miss sexual purity too often. I miss... The lust thing way too often. I miss the greed thing too. I, I, I just, I'll just settle. I just got a little bit of greed. It's not my gift. Forget it. Don't make up a theology. We pursue 100%. We fall short. We look at the loving father who lifts our face and we pursue 100% again. And we fall down again and we look at the loving father. We lift our face back up again and we pursue it again. 10 years from now, when our lives don't look like we had originally dreamed and we're not where we thought we would be, we look at God and we go, but God, I trust you and I love you and your loving kindness is all that I need and you place this ring on my finger and we lift our face. And because your kindness and your grace is real, then abandonment is possible because this isn't about me. This is all about you. I'm coming after you. The Christian journey is getting up every day and saying, I'm going to give it all that I have again today. And the next day, you do the same thing. And I, I know there's all these people that slam the moments of, hey, well, I have events for teenagers. They're going to get on this high and then come down again. Well, 
I'll tell you this. You have one moment where you lock in with this reality and one moment where the Father lifts your face. You don't have to come down. That reality can live in your heart every day of your life. We're determined. We're determined to see a generation know it. I'm determined that you're able to preach it. I'm determined that every man or woman in this room is a heralder of the attributes of God. That by the time you finish a couple years being at the gathering, you have so much Bible in you, you can articulate things and you can shout it from the rooftops. That it lives in you. It's not about you. It's about him. An enemy, the devil, wants you to lock eyes with your resume and your shortcomings. I'm such a worm. I'm so pathetic. I can't do it. But at just the right moment, while we still remain powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Wait a minute. Romans 5, 6. This isn't about my perfection. This is about who he is. And if that be true, then I can go after him. Any soccer players in here? Yes. I was a second grade soccer player. <laughs> I had soccer skills. I had the kind of skills that I was so good. I was so good that I was one of the three that waited out the whole game. And once we, uh, you know, once we had a victory, at least a six-goal lead... They put me and the other two guys in just to make sure we'd steal the victory. And uh, my second grade year when we were playing soccer, it was like maybe our fifth or sixth game. They would be there were Wednesday evenings before church. And, uh, and you know, there was this kid. His name is Gilbert. Gilbert was the, the, uh, the coach's kid. Nobody likes a coach's kid. If you're a coach's kid, sorry, but nobody likes you. And... Uh, <laughs> You got special treatment, no matter what, how you say, well, no, I really was the best. You weren't your coach. The coach really did just put you in because you're their kid. But anyway, that was my, that was my story. I remember as a second grade kid, I, uh, I, uh, was playing and they put me in towards the end of the game and we went down to score and Gilbert was like coming down. He was dribbling the ball down as he always did. Didn't pass it to anybody, you know, just kind of had the, the Kobe scenario. And so, oh, just kidding. So anyway, he'd bring the ball down. And uh, he was, just kidding. He brought the ball down and an amazing thing happened. Because Gilbert went to kick the ball in the goal. And when he did, he kicked it. And I happened to be standing over here, standing there, <laughs> kind of watching. Meanwhile, I was wearing jeans with holes in them and, uh, and like hiking boots. <laughs> Asked me, I don't know why, but that's what I played soccer in. It was just, I would always play in whatever I wore to school that day. And, um, and what happened was, was that as, as, as Gilbert went to kick the ball, he accidentally, instead of kicking it forward, he s- kind of sliced it. It went up the side of his foot. And I was standing over here enjoying the view. And the ball went off the side of his foot, hit my knee. And because that had knocked the goalie off center, he came over and, my, and the ball rolled right in off my knee into the back of the goal. My first goal, people. Thank you very much. And so immediately following that, my father, he uh, took me to McDonald's. He was so excited. 
And uh, my sisters and my brother and, my, and myself, we, uh, you know, we grew up with, as, on, as pastor's kids where we had, you know, we were very limited in terms of what we could get. And so we would always get, I would get a hamburger at McDonald's and water. Dana would get a fish filet and water. Deborah would get a cheeseburger and water. I never got a hamburger until I was 11, I mean a cheeseburger until I was 11 years old because I thought because both my sister's ha- burgers had cheese on them that cheese was feminine. And because I was a triplet, born with two girls, I was desperately attempting to never do anything feminine. Therefore, I never ate cheese or had strawberry ice cream. So we went to McDonald's and my father looked at me and, and, and uh, out of rewarding me, he looked at me and he said, David, you don't have to just get the hamburger and water. You can get whatever you want. That was abnormal for me. And I looked at him. I said, anything? He said, anything. I said, anything I want? He said, yeah, take your pick. I said, you mean like I can have one of the pictures? He said, even a picture. And I looked at him, smiled, and I said, Dad, can't accept this gift. You know, I'm not worthy of a picture. I'm not worthy of a burger. See, uh, I was just happened to be at the right place at the right time. I kind of got lucky. You shouldn't give anything to me. Are you kidding me? eight-year-old, I looked at my dad and I was like, sweet, can I get some pictures for my friends? How much can I get? Can I get four? Can I get five? Can I get six? Give me the limit on how much I can have because I'm going to take all that I can possibly get. And you know what? Our God looks at you, looks at you and he says, I've made the fullness of the kingdom available to you. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are for you. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, it's for you. A willing spirit, it's for you. The ability to fast, it's for you. A spirit of revelation on the scriptures, it's for you. The ability to possess mercy for those who have been unkind to you, it's available to you. The ability to find contentment in what you possess rather than constantly longing for a better car, it's for you. The things of the kingdom, it's for you. My kindness, it's for you. An experiential encounter with the living God, it's for you. No, 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 no way. No way. Don't you know my resume? Don't you know I was just standing there? Yes, I know. And at just the right moment, while you still remain powerless, my son died for you. And I'm in love with you. And this isn't based upon this isn't based upon your soccer skills, bud. This really has very little to do with the, the goal. The goal is the excuse to demonstrate my kindness. I'm a good father looking for any opportunity to celebrate you. Sometimes that's hard. But I'm in love with you, and I delight in you. This has nothing to do with your skills. This has everything to do with me. Look in my eyes. I'm a loving father. And I delight in you. And I love you. You have a father right now. I don't care how weak, how broken you are. I don't care how many times 
You found yourself making out with the girl. You said that you were, gonna, you were done doing that. I don't care how many times you find yourself filled with hatred and anger. I don't care how far, how messed up you think you are. He is this loving, kind father. And he says, the whole kingdom is available to you. It's there to be taken by the hungry. It's there to be taken by those who want it. Yeah, but David, I think your, I think your theology is a little off. Because, you know, there's so many scriptures that talk about our response. There's so many scriptures that talk about our obedience. Listen, I'm for obedience. John 14, 15, if you love me, he'll obey me. Oh, man. But I'll tell you this. I do not think this is Jesus looking and saying, if you love me, suckers, then you'll obey me, Peter. Matthew, put your money down. Shut up. John, get your head off my chest. Look at me. Thomas, stop doubting. Come on, guys. If you love me, you'll obey me, boys. No, 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 no. Jesus is going, guys, if you love me, you'll obey me. It's, it's, it's the overflow of love. I'll tell you, obedience is easy when you're convinced that you have a loving father that delights in you. If you, if you love me, you'll obey me. It's like, yeah, I do love you. You better believe I'm going to obey you. It's my, the delight of my life to obey you. The joy of my heart to obey you. Well, one more thing. Verse 31, look at this. Jesus talks about an older brother who becomes angry. Verse 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go in to the party. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. Never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And here it is. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because your brother, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. My temptation is to start to live like this older brother. Come on, God. What's the deal? I've been slaving all these years for you. Well, inherent in that statement is the motivation. Not relationship, but what you receive. He's the hired hand. There's no relationship. I've been slaving. Slaving? And you would never even give me a fattened calf for me and my friends. I'm doing this where I can get out of it. Come on. One day you're going to die and I'm going to get all of this. I've been slaving away and you won't give me the things for me and my friends to hang out. How many of us after we've been in the Christian journey for a good decade slip into an older brother? Count on the reward one day I'm going to go to heaven. I've been slaving away. I haven't been hanging out with the bad kids. I haven't been doing the bad things. I haven't been doing the bad stuff. Here I am keeping the rules. And you're over there celebrating when one of 
the lost sons comes home. See the heart? And you know what's really missing? Is the statement that Jesus says, or that the Father says. Son, you're always with me. All that I have is yours. There's so much more that you don't even know. This whole place, this whole Father's house, it's all yours. See this loving Father towards this lost son. I have that same spirit towards you. You just don't know me. And Jesus is telling the story as a statement to the Pharisees. How easy it is for you and for me. I've been slaving. I've been holy. I've gone on mission trips. I've given $2,000 a year, you know, every year for the last five years to go on mission trips. I haven't been, you know, doing this and that and that. But you're devoid of relationship. So when the moment comes where someone else has an encounter, you develop accusation towards God rather than celebrating with the one who does. And rather than going, I'm so glad you had those dreams. I'm so glad you saw that miracle. I'm so glad that you encountered God that way. You secretly in your heart go, God, why don't you give me that? How come I don't get it? Where when you're living in relationship with the Father and you're hanging out at a Father's house and you know who your Father is, then when the Son comes home, you know the heart of the Father and you say, woohoo, kill the fattened calf. Here we go, baby. Good day. I know how my father feels about this. My father and I are one. I got the same heart as my father on this. It's so easy to slip into being older brothers. Where we get our stuff and our stuff in the kingdom. And how come I don't get the encounter that that guy had? And how come I didn't get the opportunity that that person got? And God, how come you anointed that person and not me? How come they got the job and I didn't? How come they have spiritual gifts that I don't possess? How come they got the better? And it's all about you. Slip into this pharisaical older brother. Lack of relationship. And when you don't have relationship, you have nothing. You may have all the outer tatterings of religion. Father looks at his son. All that I have is yours, son. This whole kingdom is yours. It's my great delight for you to possess it. I want you to have all. I want you to have all of it. Take it. Live in the reality of it. It's all yours. Take it all. You know what it's like to live in your parents' house. You're growing up before you came here, now you're a college student. And when you were growing up in your parents' house and there was food in the fridge, it's yours. Now you come to a dorm room where people write their names on their food. Maybe you live in a host family where you have a little area. Here, open this drawer, that's yours. Maybe you have a roommate. That doesn't just write his name on his food. He writes his, he writes his name on your food and he steals it. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you live in a place where there's rules. And you live in a place where, hey man, you got you to wear a certain thing. You got to do things. You know how it was in your parents' house. That's my little brother, man. My dad bought a bunch of steaks. 
My brother invited his friends over. They cooked steaks in the middle of the night. Why? Because whatever was dad's was his. <laughs> but you know what? The day you said yes to Jesus and the finished work on the cross, the Father's house, everything available in here is yours. It's there to be taken. You can take it. And if you don't take it, you'll live without it. And if you live without it, you'll become, become content without the delight of the Father saying, it's my good pleasure to give you all. I want you to have all. I want you to live with the spirit of revelation. I want you to live with a heart of prayer. I want you to live without bitterness. I want you to live free of the greed of the age. I want you to be able to have forgiven all, not be angry at those people. It's all available to you. The question is not if it's available. The question is, will you take it? I want to encourage you tonight. Take everything in the Father's house. Take it all. Take his kindness. Take the ring. Take the robe. Take the banquet. Take it all. Take all that he'll give the human heart. Take everything. Don't be satisfied with far too little. Don't be satisfied with a peace. God, I want everything you'll give me. You stand with me. Just put out your hands like this. If that's you tonight, you just go, I want to take the fullness. I'm not, no excuses. I want all that God will give. Will you raise your hand? I just want to see. That's me tonight. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. All right. Good. Good. Let's go back to this posture right here. I want to pray. Father, we come before you. Imperfect. Broken. So prone to get pig slop on our face every week. But God... We want all that you'll give us. And crystallizing in our heart and in our mind is an image of God that is one of kindness. That is one that loves us. That delights in us and rejoices over us. We're coming after you. We will not be content as hired hands. We're your sons and we're your daughters. And we take our place of privileged position because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And we come before you, we say, give us more, God. Put an ache in our hearts where we come after you and we ask day after day. You're the God that gives us bread and not a stone. You're the God that gives us eggs and not a scorpion. And so we will not give up asking for the fullness of the reality of God alive in our hearts on a daily level. Coming after you, God. Tomorrow we're coming after you. Tonight we're coming after you. A decade from now we're coming after you.
want all. We want all. We want all. We want everything. We want all. We want all, God. Now, I just want you to begin to ask God. I want you to ask, say some specific, some specific things. Some of you are going to be like, God, I, I, I want to I be pure. I want that in the kingdom. I mean, if the kingdom looks like you reigning on the earth in my life, I want, I want to be pure, God. I want to be, I, I, some of you are going to go, I want a life of prayer and fasting. God, I, 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 want, I want healing in my hands, God. I want the fullness. Ask him. Ask him for good gifts. It's his great pleasure. He takes delight. He has gladly given you the kingdom. Some of you live in fear. Say, God, I don't want to live in fear. I want to live in faith. Fear is... Looking to the future without God. Faith is looking to the future with God. I look to tomorrow with you. Because you live, I can, I can face tomorrow. I don't have to live in fear. I, go, I, I got faith. God, because of you, I don't have to live in this constant worry for money. This constant embarrassment of my appearance. Constant anxiety for if you'll ever provide for me. My dreams will come true. No. No. The fullness of the kingdom is mine. I take it all. I take it all. I take everything. I take humility. I take the prophetic. I take the gifts of the Spirit. I take the fruits of the Spirit. God, I want love, man. I want joy. God, I want peace in the midst of craziness. God, I want to be patient. I don't want to be irritated with people. I don't want to be annoyed and bugged. God, I want... I want hope. I want you to be my rock... I want not an ounce of lust to be in my eyes. I want contentment rather than greed. I want power. When I declare the gospel to people at my work or at my college, man, I don't want to just say empty words. I want the power of the gospel in my life. I want the kingdom. God, I want to be broken for the hurting. I want to give to the poor. I want to take care of widows and orphans. I want your heart for the nations. I want it all. I don't want a slice of the kingdom. I want the kingdom. I want to be a living demonstration of Christ on the planet. I want the kingdom. 
God, raise up heralders out of this place that declare the oracles of God to the next generation and to their generation and to the nations of the world. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said amen. Amen. You've just heard one of the speakers from Desperation, a ministry of New Life Church in Colorado Springs. For more information on becoming a Desperation intern, attending one of our conferences, or joining the Desperation National Network for local churches, visit us at desperationonline.com.